All right, this week we're talking about living life in a digital age. The future is coming. If you can dodge a 3D printed wrench, you can dodge a self-driving car. The way people think are changing. As a result, people are taking charge of their learning, creating a shift in education. Technology is here to stay, people. Please quit bitching about it. <laughs> 10,000 followers doesn't mean you have 10,000 friends. We're all experiencing fallout from a digital age transition into a digital age, but the solution probably isn't to just all become Amish. So our society might be talking like this, <clears throat> like this, getting some peach fuzz on our upper lip, uncontrollably rolling our eyes at everything an adult says, and tripping over their own feet. But we're growing out of it as we learn how to make use of the new and old technologies to communicate and promote good and come of age as a mature and productive citizen of the new age. Welcome to the Epic Podcast, your weekly dose of mental foreplay. I'm Matt. I'm Jen. I'm Austin. I'm Kat. I'm Christina. I'm David. And just like we opened up, we're talking about life in a digital age. And I can't help but think about how I kind of won the birth lottery when I was born. I was born in what's kind of considered a micro generation, a zenial generation, sometimes called the Star Wars generation, and that it's born from the beginning of A New Hope, 1977, and The Return of the Jedi, uh, 1983. And it doesn't really fit in Generation X, doesn't really fit in Millennials, uh, yet I still feel like I can relate to both. I've got a foot in both. And I feel like I grew up um, as, as things were transitioning from analog to digital. Anybody else feel like they uh, feel equally qualified to say the same thing? I think we're all millennials here, right? We're all born in that time? I didn't make it by a couple years, by the date that you... You're the baby. You're a millennial? How's, how are you? Yes. No, I don't even know how to relate to you. In the words of that Knights Templar in like Indiana Jones, find that cup of the Holy Grail, I chose... <laughs> <laughs> Wisely, sir. Yes, wisely. Yes, wisely. Wisely. Yes, that's, that's the one. But I think I can still identify with what you're saying because I did. I do remember a time where I didn't have technology and I didn't have a cell phone, and then all of a sudden I did, and now it's like, oh, my kids know how to do things on apps that I don't even know how to do. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 remembering what it was like to have to imagine and create fun out of kind of a out of whatever you had and then also remembering having your first nintendo the internet cell phones i remember i was in junior high or elementary school and then even you know the first smartphone came out when i think when i was in college i think when did when did the first apple come out i can't remember 2007 i think yeah. 11 years old is that yeah oh my gosh so that was like six years after i was in college but I, I do remember having my first cell phone in seventh grade. So oh. seventh grade, you were I think I was like nineteen. My family had money. Oh, that was <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. 
<laughs> I didn't have my first cell phone until I was in the Marine Corps and was like far from home. And I was just so tired of going to these military uh, trailers that had just rows of phone booths and getting my little, uh, my card that had minutes on it. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I remember those. So I eventually broke down and got this, this flip phone that had an antenna you pulled out. Nice. And, uh, yeah, not, not quite a, of Zach Morris status. <laughs> was it the Motorola StarTac? What was it called? Is that yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, my dad had a bunch of them. Okay. <laughs> he had five because one wasn't enough. That's cool. That's good. He had, he had, I remember when he got his first car phone. You guys remember car phones? Oh my yeah, god. My yeah. My dad had a bag phone, like a like it came in like a Velcro bag. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Oh my Maybe god. I am a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah maybe you are a millennial when i was in high school this one dude actually brought one of those brick phones too like he he had a brick phone like the, the big mm. one. the big brick phone like did he have a beeper too or just like did you have a beeper i did have a beeper of course you <laughs> of course who didn't have a beeper <laughs> i went to private school but we all had beepers my dad did <laughs> anyway I think all of us, though, can relate to an analog age. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I, I can work a rotary phone. Mm-hmm. Anybody? Like, Jen? Uh, yeah. I can. <laughs> <laughs> There's one at her grandma's house. It doesn't work. I'm like 1940. It's pretty cool, actually. Maybe it does work and you just don't know how. <laughs> No, her phone in general just doesn't work. It's so old. It's paperweight. <laughs> so what were some of the other things that, as you guys were, were researching the topic, what were some of the things you found that really stuck out, caused you to, to say, this is what I'm going to major in this week? I think I majored in, um, what I majored on in life professionally as an educator, um, and just looking at the way as we evolve with technology being integrated into our lives, what that does for us individually as thinkers. In the past, many people would prefer to maybe read text or um, get a book out and read it. More so now people are more tuned to listening to podcasts, listening to videos, either on YouTube or whatever. Um, And so that kind of creates a problem because as things evolve, the current systems that are in place are not evolving with it. Um, So I think of education, um, schools are not adapting quickly enough for technology that's being integrated into everyone's lives. Right on. Anyone else? I was watching a forum, uh, man, I don't remember where it was, but um, the lady was a linguist and she was making the point that as a society um, nowadays, we're we're kind of... um, propensity to become shallow readers mm-hmm. like uh when you when you were reading a paper book uh you you would kind of curl up in a area and just kind of read your book and not uh, and kind of tune everything out whereas right now we have uh most of our books are in digital format and so you're reading it on your phone and you're also you know, if somebody sends you a text, well, you switch your attention from what you're reading to the text, answer the text, switch back to your reading. And what she was saying is it, it, it makes for shallow reading. It's not an in-depth, in-turn, uh, 
it's not an in-depth you're internalizing your information it's more like oh yeah okay you're always reading this then you switch your attention to something else and come back to that and i don't know i mean <clears throat> as far as integrating all that technology or integrating te technology into the school system you know is do you need to prove that do you need to analyze that technology see what what repercussions it has what side effects it has or or is it something that just the newest tech gadget or whatever oh let's just bring it to schools and see what happens i don't know it's just a I was I was just thinking about that as you were talking about new technology in the classroom. Well, you know, do we need to test this or is it just oh, <laughs> right. yeah, this is great? Let's go. You know. Right. And I think the disheartening thing is that data kind of shows that the that children at a younger age are not it's not good input for them because they're missing out on the social interactions, they're missing out on the social cues. Um you know, I remember a time where I would go into the store, my mom, I'd have to walk around with my mom in the store and look at prices and, and follow directions. And my mom says, you know, if you touch something, you're going to get a backhand. And then walking in the store and seeing another kid getting a backhand because they didn't follow the rules. And so as a society, these children are being brought up with not being able to be patient and wait for, you know, they need that instant gratification if they're not being stimulated in the brains that the world comes to an end and I think we see a lot more behaviors coming up because that screen isn't in their hand their face mm -hmm. it, they don't have like their imagination I would imagine would not be I can imagine because I'm <laughs> <laughs> a Gen Xer I think or something whatever that was Matt um they don't have the same opportunities to develop that that part of their imagination they they're not bored they're never bored anymore right. and i have i have a kid that's 19 and just the way life goes he is really into video games and i've had to take him away before and he doesn't know what to do with himself i mean that's not great parenting obviously but they're they're missing out on a lot like being bored there was a study i didn't look into this because that wasn't my directive but there was a study done about um the effects of being bored and the benefits of of mm. having that boredom and having to think and not re relying on someone else's imagination that created the game or the app or whatever. I think one of the things that's it's hard to quantify as a parent and as a society is like those who do master the art of creation and creativity in this generation, they're going to run the world, you know, because they're going to be surrounded by people of their same age and people of their same culture that, never learned how to not look at the screen and those who learn how to put things on the screen for other people are going to end up becoming more and more. And I've, I've often wondered what does that do to the income gap? What does that do to some of the equalities that we see? Because now you have certain people that are learning how to lead and create and get out of the technology and then others whose entire lives are completely wrapped up in it mm -hmm. is that I don't, I don't know if any of us can see far, that far down the road, but it goes well beyond just someone, a personal, a person's individual experience. It starts to get into what is society going to look like? Especially if we, if we run out of imagination, like how, like, I mean, all of our technology that we're talking about and all of the advances in, you know, science and medicine and all of these things, they start in the imagination. And so if we are raising up these generations of people that are just stuck to a screen and aren't thinking for themselves or thinking of new things, they're just being constantly that instant gratification, that instant 
always being entertained by something else, they're not going to think of anything new. And we're just gonna be, <laughs> like, are we going to plateau? And I mean, there will always be people that are, I'm hoping there's always people that have right. new ideas, but. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you think of that, that we're all storytellers. Like we tell ourselves a story every day about how this world works, who we are. However, in the digital age that we're growing up in now, the voices in that story that are providing input are, are changing dramatically. Instead of having that strong internal voice, I know personally, I just had to, to move uh, Facebook on my phone so that I didn't see it. Because the first thing I would do in the morning after turning my alarm off, which is on my phone, is I would see that I have a notification. My brain would go, hey, go check the notification, man. There's some dopamine waiting for you there. <laughs> dopamine hit that I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm valid because there's some external voice that wants to notify me of something. And so the, instead of waking up and, and thinking about how I want the day to go, I'm having other voices influence me first thing. I think it's really important for kids to, I know you wanted to say something, but I was waiting longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you. Um, Good point. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really important for kids to be able to learn who they are apart from and maybe before getting super involved in in social media and the online world potentially, because otherwise, yeah, like you're saying, Matt, there the voices that that are, there's so much coming at people all the time one of the terms that I ran across was the concept of mental white space. Like we don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. And that goes along with the whole boredom thing. Boredom is important for creativity in a sense. Uh, and the, the mental white space concept, um, the constant input that everybody is, is getting, I think equals just a, a very much more shallow mental processing experience or, or lack of mental processing time because but that's i mean that's why uh meditation has become such a big thing that's why minimalism and, and and simplicity have become such a big thing because people are feeling suffocated their souls are feeling suffocated i think um and so mm. there's this this push for a, a new way of looking at life for just even the concept of why I feel like has become something new that past generations didn't think about. Well, I mean, they probably did to some extent, but like thinking about why they did something, it was, I think it was a lot more probably along the lines of this is just what you do with your life. You get a job, you uh, make food, you raise, you have a garden, all that stuff. Like I think the digital age has given us the concept of thinking about why we do mm. things because there are so many more possibilities now <clears throat> you have to come up with a different filter you, you 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 can't not think about why or life is just slapping you in the face all the time i mean like it's it's a lot <laughs> i feel overwhelmed a lot just because there's so much information and i don't know if it's i would like i would like to know what you guys how you guys experience it but my personality at least because there's so much more information, I feel like I need to research more about everything in order to make the quote unquote right decision about stuff. It, knowledge to me is weighty or the potential of knowledge is weighty. And I'm curious if 
That goes with the, and I know David wants to talk. I know. Well, the thing is, you just you crossed into two points. Two. two I know. And I, 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 I had lots of other points from other things people were saying. This is difficult with so many people. In the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Yeah. That's that was just a cherry on top of what I was. Yeah. Christina say. Okay, so I I was gonna go in in here and make this observation because of of. Uh, the baton guy that we had talked about um earlier before um elaine de button you curated on yeah that one uh you <laughs> curated that one on the epic.org right so if you guys correct it's great and it, it's uh, he he kind of like edit it so that you only get the parts that you can understand it's called living wisely in a digital age i think yes. what the title is great great uh teaching or expose whatever you want to call it this came from reading i was reading an article where where uh he was he made the statement that was written i think don't don't quote me on this but i think it was written by francis bacon called knowledge is power that that statement knowledge is power and when he wrote it knowledge or yeah quote unquote power was only something that was available to to the few it was not, uh, people did not A, know how to read that well, or hardly anybody knew how to read, and B, did not have access to books because books were very expensive. So only the elite had power. And now it's a level playing field, if you will, that we have access to unlimited knowledge. I mean, mm -hmm. you wanna learn how to do anything, go on YouTube, go on Google it or whatever. and. Uh, Elaine de Botton was saying that is a curse because we have so many options. We can learn so many things that we don't end up learning anything yeah. that it's mm -hmm. just so much. We don't get you. You will either not go into depth and not know enough about it and act on that limited knowledge that you have, or just be the whole concept of, you know, paralyzed by the amount of, of, uh, of things, the sheer vast amount of things that you can learn that you won't do anything. And he says that that's, that's also something that's uh, uh, hurting the, our young people because they feel like they can be anything. They can do anything. Back in those days of Francis Bacon, you were born a cobbler. You stayed a cobbler. Uh, your dad was a cobbler before you. Your grandpa was a cobbler. You know that your kid was going to be a cobbler etc etc same thing with you know bakers or whatever so people uh some people went above their station some people did learn other things or whatever but almost everybody knew what they were going to be because right. that's what they're born into and he says that you know that's <laughs> that's not the case now you're born and you have a vast amount of experience and and that he and he said because you have that possibility, seeing that there are people that succeed, seeing that there are people that make it so much higher than you will ever be, or you feel like you will ever be, is a source of uh, depression for some people. Oh, I have all these options, but I didn't make it there, so I must be a piece of crap, you know. Mm. Yeah, there is a, there is a double-edged sword to telling people they can be who they want to be. I've been telling people that for years, and there's certainly a a classification of people who hear that as well then therefore i'm currently not enough yeah right and that's what that, that christina you mentioned something about finding like this is kind of forced a society in our culture yeah. 
to start asking a question we've never had to ask before, which is why. And I think to me, if you find your why, then you've, then you narrow down that vastness that you're talking about, David. Like if you find your why, then it becomes pretty dang clear who you want to be, what you want to be, what you want to learn. But I think there's a, a lack of training and a lack of, I don't know, cultural norms around finding our why, because we are only one or two generations away from, if your last name is Baker, then that means that's what you are. Right. So yeah, it's, there, there has to be cultural practices that help children find their why. Then you can narrow down that vastness, but it, we're kind of stuck in between as we've been talking about. I think there's a lot of, a lot of guff thrown at the millennial generation as being this like, they're kind of portrayed as these petulant whiny like well i only want to do things if it makes a difference and i'm like that's kind of that's legit though <laughs> like, what's the problem but they i think that goes along with what uh christine was saying with having to ask why like you don't just go get a job somewhere punching a clock nine to five until you retire or die like that's not enough anymore because we know all of these possibilities we know that we could be anything and so we do have to ask ourselves why and that's that's what this generation is doing. And it's, it's exciting to see, like it's a little, they're kind of floundering right now because there are, there are no, so, oh, what are the words? Cultural norms? I guess, yeah. There's no like structure to help them get to that point and to understand or decipher all of the options. Yeah. There needs to be a quiz, a Facebook quiz. That's all. <laughs> it's, it's, not to it's really point. interesting that, in, in all of this, it sounds like knowledge is being devalued and that wisdom is now kind of, is, is rising because the ability to, to add context to knowledge, the ability to add insight to that knowledge, um, that, that's something that isn't widely available. When you find somebody who can add that insight, that can add that context, all of a sudden, it's, it's you know, when I was going to school, gaining, gaining that knowledge was a big deal, but now it's... You know, Google it. You know, I, I still remember my math teacher saying, hey, you're not going to have a calculator on you the rest of your life. Oh, wow. uh, whoops. <laughs> and, and, and so it kind of goes back to what Jennifer was talking about, how this, you know, we have this gigantic education system, and it's designed to not be very agile. <laughs> no. Um, well, it's I, designed I, for an industrial age. Right. And I, I, think, I think generations before has have asked the why, because I don't think if we were asking the why, we would have continued moving on forward in life. And I think we're living in a product of the result of this education system that is we need to produce workers to fill in this hole, to push this button, to make sure all of the components are in this product that we're sending out. But as technology advances and then a robot comes in and, and can do all those things and if it loses an arm it's not the end of the world we just get a new robot like those are the, the bonuses well, of and, and not only does that robot do that but it does it cheaper safer less expensively <laughs> right? like more consistently yeah yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yes software is pretty obedient you know right. <laughs> and, and i th i think there's 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 a big blessing with that shift but I think yesterday we were watching some commercials and there was a, there was a point where I see it in the marketing and in commercials that they're bringing in examples of, you know, they've got the little robot AI dog bringing your package and they've got, oh, this 
robot's going to take over my life. <sighs> you know, and there's this shift of they're dropping little nuggets and they're preparing us like this is on the way. How are you going to adapt to it? And I think that's, that's the why of why we're doing what we're doing is that as a team, we can collectively research things, come together and say, hey, I read this. Is this cool? Is this bogus? What do you guys think? And then it's not all the pressures adding on one person. We're, we're learning as a group and then we can share. Hopefully the people listening to us can, can hear what we're saying and help them learn. Sure. So, so one of the things that I'm taking away from that is that technology is coming. Like these things, it's here. yeah, it's, it's, it's here and it's, it's not going away. And just to kind of, to lay some context in some of the technologies that are changing the world right now. Earlier, Austin mentioned the iPhone. It's 11 years old. Bitcoin, you know, a revolution in, in finance digitally is just turned 10. Um, you know, one of the things that's popping up um, in, in documentaries right now is the effect of big data, you know, what it, Corporations like Google, Facebook, and then collecting data on millions and millions and millions of people, you know, how, how that's affecting um, privacy, how it's, how it's changing the way that decisions are being made. Uh, we've got artificial intelligence that Jen mentioned that's making some gigantic strides in, in recent years. Um, Self-driving cars are here right now and they're not going away. Um, you know, I can put on a, a pair of VR goggles and I can, you know, simulate it I, hypothetically, we could be in the same room in, in, in a virtual reality environment having this conversation. That can, that's, that's available right now. I mean, even the idea of 3D printing, you know, it's, it's, there was a lot of hype a few years ago, but it's starting to catch up to where you know, people thought it might eventually go. Anybody have any thoughts on the idea that technology is here, it's coming, it's changing things, what not? I can't, I can't help but hear some of this and go, okay, so there's this stuff going on outside. How do you deal with it with in, inside, spiritually speaking? And for me, uh, there is a component to fear and trying to like, I, I, in, in, a, in my New Age Christian podcast, I talk about fear a lot and, and how people try. It's like trying to bag up all the darkness in the room and like take it out. Uh, take out the trash like you can't bag up darkness you just have to turn on the light which means you have to replace it with something else so when you look at this a lot of people are afraid of technology a lot of people wish it would go away they wish it would slow down whatever whatever negative view people have of technology it isn't going anywhere and you can you know <laughs> scream into the dying of the light but it's not going to go anywhere so what do you replace that with? You can't bag that feeling up. You can't, so what do you replace it with? And to me, the answer is a measure of embracing it. And, you know, I use the analogy of if your car is going a thousand miles an hour down the road and you're, and it's scaring the crap out of you, what's better taking your hands off the wheel and screaming or grabbing the wheel, pushing the, pushing the clutch, grab the stick and starts doing your best to steer yeah, it's a thousand miles an hour and you're probably going to run into some people. But if you at least take some intentionality and engage the process, which is what, what we're doing here at the Epic. I mean, we're clearly a group of people who see this. We are talking about it. We are embracing it. We're researching it. I know so many people that are, that are our age, not to mention the generations ahead of us, that are completely ignoring Bitcoin and completely ignoring AI and completely ignoring all the things that are going to change their life 10 years from now 
and 20 years from now, forget about it, right? And those of us who embrace it and grab the wheel and start steering this thing a bit have a chance to to bring in the other values and the, and to address the things that are scary and be part of the solution. And thankfully, there's a there's a large group of people in the world that are doing it as well. But anybody listening to this podcast who's who is scared, yeah. I encourage you like get over it, get over being scared, and realize your best chance is to freaking participate in, in providing the solutions as opposed to just whining about that. I mean, that was my opening hook, you know, please stop bitching about it. Not because it bothers me, but because it's not going to do you any good. It's just not going to, not going to work. I think the people that are afraid of technology taking over and replacing their jobs and like the jobs that technology is replacing are like the menial mindless things where you punch a button, put a thing together, like, these little factory type industri- the industrial age jobs that we don't have to do anymore. Right. That's a good thing, especially when the generation coming up behind us needs a why. They need to be a part of something that means something to them. It's not going to be, you know, replaceable by a robot. Mm. It's I, I, something that they're passionate about. I do want to interject on that one and do say that, yes, it's primarily going after those types of jobs, Kat, but it's also going after jobs that are blue collar and white collar. Like you would find that- Like calculators. Uh, well, sure, like, a, like a, a, a stock trader, for example, mm-hmm. that a lot of that's given way to an algorithm that does high frequency trading. Or it's gone to technology, like I can pull up Robinhood on my phone and I can trade stock from my phone commission free. That if you told that to somebody, you know, 30 years ago where they're paying, you know, they were happy to get E-Trade where they're paying $10 a trade or whatever it was, they would think you're, you know, in fantasy land. Um, mm-hmm. that, that you could now trade stock from anywhere, all by yourself, for free. Can I ask you a question in regards to that? Um, how does it work though? Because I feel like uh, a lot of the stock market is fear. It's predicated a lot on fear. Oh, this is going to happen. So sell, sell, sell. Yeah. It's just, sure. it's just a question. I'm, 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 I'm kind of trying to wrap my mind in, around how, you know, is, yeah, whatever. It's, it's off topic, so never mind. Right, well, I think a, a big part that comes down to an increased um, emphasis on personal responsibility. So this technology enables you to have amazing control over certain aspects of your life that, you, that was never available before. But you have to be, you have to own it. You have to be at the helm of it. Or you can be that person that's just going along. Right. I really think there are two different roads you can take. It's the person that goes along and just, I'm going with the flow. And then the next thing I know, I, I don't have a way in life. Or you could be that person that says, hey, I see what's coming and I'm going to make that choice and that, that decision to engage in my creativity, engage in that knowledge and turn it into wisdom and, and pay the way for myself that keeps you kind of ahead of the game. Um, there's a guy named Jamie Cassup. He's Google's chief evangelist of education is the title that he has. And uh, he's been talking about how, um, if you have kids, that the conversation that you used to have with them of what do you want to be when you grow up is, is becoming less valid. And the idea of having the conversation of what problem do you want to solve so that you can then reverse engineer that problem and figure out which skills you need to learn so that you can solve that problem. Because the future economy is changing. The future of employment is changing. Anybody have any, any insights onto that other than just be adaptable and ready to, 
<laughs> well, I have, a, I have a question just in practicality because we're, we're, we're preparing for a world that we don't know what it's going to look like. So as a child, I say, I'm going to solve this problem. And then five years later, it's solved, but I'm only halfway through my grade school learning. Mm -hmm. Well, sorry. No way. I mean, people, kids have been changing what they wanted to do a bajillion times forever. Sick burn. So it's, not like it, it's not like they can't come up with a new problem. That's true. Like, it's still I don't have enough gum. What? It's like a problem kids have. They don't have enough gum. I don't know. Nice and loud. They don't have, they don't have gum. gum. <laughs> no. Sorry, that went over my head or something. I don't know. It's still good, you know, to, to go through the exercise with your kids of of how to think about the future. And earlier when you guys were talking about stuff with kids, um, it was making me remember that one of my friends actually would practice with her kids about sitting still for situations where they need to be sitting still. And that is something that never occurred to me <laughs> at all. But there are all sorts of things like that that you can practice with your kids um, and just a matter of knowing what those things are that we should be practicing, I guess, which is probably a lot what you talk about on your podcast, Matt. A little bit. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious because I'm getting like, I'm getting the sense that there's again, so many possibilities with the future. And I, I feel like more than anything, it's teaching them, teaching kids to, to think that way and to have a positive outlook on the future, have a positive outlook instead of having the freaked out outlook. Looking at AI and saying, oh, it's gonna come and kill us all, or looking at AI and saying, wow, you have this machine that can be a helper, in a sense. I don't know. No, it, it is an interesting time to live in, in that, um, you know, we, we grew up during the age of, of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator. And so we've seen Skynet, we've seen the Matrix, we've seen all of these things where technology goes horribly awry. We've seen this dystopian futures. I can't help but think about how um, I'm still, when I go onto Reddit and I, I go through to certain subreddits, I still see people that are kind of obsessed with the idea of an EMP just knocking out the electrical grid and resetting all this technology back to zero and that it's all going to be about who has these basic you know, farming skills and, and country living skills. Um, I think, I think it's so easy to go down certain avenues and, 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 and get caught in like a, a positive feedback loop where you don't uh, really allow yourself to consider other possibilities. I mean, the future to me looks incredibly bright, but at the same time, I'm also open to somebody who says, well, Hey, things looked really good in the roaring twenties right, right before <laughs> the great depression. So, I mean, does anybody have any you know, thoughts on the idea of, of, of where things are trending right now? I think you said at the beginning, like we're all storytellers and as by human nature, we're attracted to, oh no, there's a problem. We have to overcome that problem and we succeed. And so we see in Hollywood all the time of just even now movies coming out now of, I think Transformers, I think of the movie our kids watch like Next Generation where there's still always that the evil technology and then we have to as a human race overcome like that's always gonna make people tick at the end of the day our kids watch transformers <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I think a, a really, trick question uh, i don't know <laughs> I, think, I think a really interesting movie um is tomorrowland 
and the idea mm -hmm. that oh, um, yeah. that what we expose ourselves to and in a digital age this is extremely relevant the things that are constantly being broadcasted that we're being exposed to they paint this picture for us so yeah. I, I know some of you want to talk about the idea of, of what does it look like when the people that we're having these communications with, these, these, these conversations with, we're not actually seeing them face-to-face. -face. We're, you know, we're not looking into the, the eyes of somebody. Bullying has, become a, it has morphed into a whole new issue. Going, going back to relationships, what does it look like to have this mass communication just going 24-7? I think constantly being like we're losing – the ability to connect with the, with each other like on a on a reality level like in person because if you think about it like even if you go out to eat and your friend uses the bathroom like you don't just sit there and look around and like take in your surroundings you're on your phone or if you're you know waiting in the doctor's office you're not talking to the person next to you and that might be weird anyway but at a doctor's <laughs> so what do you have <laughs> like, what are you here for um bad bad example but we're not learning we're not learning or these younger generations aren't learning how to interact with each other and that's gonna I, I think it's gonna cause problems with the fact that it's wonderful that we can find these communities like we can find like-minded people all over the place there's like forums and there's groups and there's Facebook groups like all of these things where you can find people that think just like you which is wonderful and it's good for support and stuff like that but if you're only spending your time in these bubbles of people that think just like you, how do you learn to interact and work with and value people that think differently than you? And bullying is become like bullies have always been around. That's not a new thing, but they have this intense potency now in this far reaching, like it's not just at school. There's no rest anymore. Like it's social media, it's texting, it's all of these things. Um, and they, oh, that's what you just thought. And <laughs> done. <laughs> it's really the fact that, that you have these multiple communities, it does provide the ability to identify very closely with a lot more people. And it also, what I've seen is it, it also provides the ability to, to get into arguments based on ideologies you know, back in the day when you didn't have a community all over the world, but you had a community like within your, you know, the nearest community around you physically. So when somebody said, oh, did you hear about what happened to so-and-so, whether they were white, black, boy, girl, young, old, because you were geographically connected, there was a community around that. Now you can have Black Lives Matter and the KKK and you can, and you can have the uh, just uh, why use those why use those you know, I went I started white black first okay you know um you know white lives matter is, that, is there one of those I don't know anyway point being is you can have these extreme groups that you feel comfortable being extreme in mm -hmm. and then you go hang out with your not so extreme friends in some other group where you're like oh I like to play Rocket League on on online. And which is that's one of the things I do, right? And suddenly a guy who feels comfortable in one group being a KKK member try you know says something on this group and now it's like this the clashes are so much more stark mm -hmm. because you don't have you don't have the the variety in your communities 
they're so specialized now that you have to be a chameleon to go into these other communities as, as a lot of, I think all of us are on, on this call at least grew up Christian, right? And it's no different. A lot of the denominational concepts, you know, you don't get Baptists going to Pentecostal groups and Pentecostals going to the Catholic church and the Catholic church going to the non-denominational, like, yet we're doing that all day, every day online, mm -hmm. right? And we wonder where all of the discord is coming from. We're wondering where all the lack of, of civility is coming from because we've, we've adopted a way of living that allows us to be extreme and be celebrated for it. I think there's a, there's a reality to the anonymity that um, virtual communities bring and that it's a lot easier to say things like, there's so many things that are said online, like say that to their face and not get punched in force. Right. Like, people are so ballsy now because there's no consequence. There's no real consequence. And there's bullying gets, gets, um, glorified. what is it? Glorified? Attention. Not glorified. Yeah. No, not that. <laughs> no, no. Um, oh my God. I'm sorry. All the editing. Um, bullying gets, what is this word? It gets bigger and bigger. What's the word? Magnified. Oh. <laughs> I lost the train of thought trying to think of a word. Um, fuck. It's gone. <laughs> what were we talking about? I was trying to think of the word and I lost the thought. Yeah. Um, Intense? It, go, it gets. Saying, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Nope, if you got it, because I no, don't. You were saying that, that bullying gets intensified. It gets way bigger than it has more influence in people's lives. Is that what you're trying to say? What did I say just before? I'm so sorry. My brain is like well, I, melted. I think if you think back to what Asma was saying about the community. So back in the day when you had a small community, if someone said, you know, you have a terrible haircut, 20 people knew about it. But now it's like, well, I took a picture of your terrible haircut, I posted it online, and the people all around the world are seeing your terrible haircut, and now I'm an idiot. Like, it just magnifies mm. and... Magnifies, yeah. It's, it's, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> We're not soliciting that kind of thing on the podcast. <laughs> In spite of all the... I think another another piece to the conversation is that when you're online, you know, some people will put their real face, some people put the face they wish they had, some people will just put leave an empty screenshot. And it's so easy just to say something really mean and hurtful because you're not in the room and actions do speak louder than words. And when you're in a room with someone and I say something hurtful and I see you shift and I see your eyes turn down and I see your emotional reaction and you know some people call it energy some call it whatever you want to call it but that is you're admitting that in a physical sense like I pick up on that and I adjust I'm like oh I'm sorry I really hurt your feelings or whatever but when it's all digital it's like I can send the meanest gift or whatever and it doesn't matter because you're on the other side of the world and good day so well, I think and punctuation I matters I'm just gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> let's eat grandma <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've all been saying forever, like, you can't read inflection in a text. I think mm. it's so easy to just assume things, too, and blow things out of proportion that might not necessarily have been meant that way. But ultimately, 
technology is a tool and like any tool it just enhances whatever is already there it's not i don't believe that it's really creating anything in people that wasn't already like a seed in them um, it just gives them free license to be that's what i was getting at <laughs> free license to be an asshole because there's no consequences and that's the thing like bullying can escalate to such a drastic point that it's causing suicide in kids right. and even that there's no because there's such a disconnect they're not seeing each other face to face they're not seeing the effects of what they're saying that even when that child gets to that point where they um what's a delicate way to say that i don't know there isn't one because it's awful, an but when it when it gets to that point there's still not a consequence for that kid i think there is they're starting to now they're able they're to like, starting to practice, but, prosecute but at the same time those sure. who are being prosecuted are like what what did i do i don't get it like there's no connection exactly. of yeah. well your words affected this person mm -hmm. so with these negatives that are here is there any point to resist technology like is, is there any any uh virtue to being a Luddite, that like the guys who, who smashed the machines that were taking their jobs. Is there any, any virtue for that now? In the words of Liam Neeson, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he, he responded to that, but the, the bad guy said good luck. I think of office space where they're banging on the computers in the middle of the, the field, and I'm like, that's probably some therapeutic. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter. The technology is still going to persevere. I do think there's, uh, go ahead, Christina. No, I was just going to say uh, simply that, yeah, I mean, you, you can do that if you want, like you can live your life that way and you can have a simpler life. That's valid if you want to do that. But I mean, we're going to, there's a lot of good that we're going to be missing out on if, if the majority mm. of us do that. Right. I don't, think, I don't think anybody looks at the Amish and goes, man, like, Poor life choices. I mean, it's just, it's a different life choice. Actually, I should say, I'm sure a lot of people look at that. I should say poor life choices, but I mean, really it's live life how you want to live it. Right. Understand that right. you're missing out on benefits if you resist this. Well, you're living your life for yourself in that context. Yeah. Right. Um, and you're not, you're not changing the world. You're not making the world necessarily a better place by living that way. Actually, <laughs> that's there's actually saw um, this is kind of on the same note. There's an Amish dude out of uh, Illinois who runs a a company uh, like a, a biology company that they deal with plants and stuff, and they're working with major major producers all over the country in helping them grow organically and stuff like that. So they are there are some that are doing it, but I do completely agree they for me i really like to your question matt um a lot of what simon Sinek has to say you know i don't know he's i don't wouldn't say he's a luddite um some might but the, there are certain things that you can do to manage your your interdependence or your uh experience with technology i think we've I, I know i have one of the things i've done is i've actually turned i don't have my volume on my phone anymore so uh, it means, what it means for me is that when I go to check my phone, it's on purpose and it's because I'm in a place in the moment where I can go check it, right? As opposed to it constantly being this thing that's interrupting life. And so it's been, it's, and it's also caused me to be more intentional when I do get a text, like I try to be better. I'm getting better at 
not just blowing things off and everything like that. But uh, don't make that face. <laughs> this is better. It's better than it was. You're doing well. <laughs> but, uh, point being is, 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 you know, making small, I like what Simon Sinek says about, you know, when you go out with friends and stuff, how the different games they play with putting their phones in the middle of the table and the first person to check it, check their phone has to pick up the tab or, you know, everything like that. I think there's, there's ways to honor what tech, the, to honor the things that technology can still do without letting it ruin things that it doesn't do well yet. But yeah, I still believe. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> if no, you want to fight against it, if you want to fight against it, good luck. There is a measure of just like, it's not going to happen. But I still still believe if you wanted to help grab the wheel, participate, and in, in, in that, manage your experience with technology to protect the things you want to protect. Yeah, what I was going to say was that I think the talk that you were talking about, the, the Simon Sinek had was... Uh, in relation to millennials, right? Like they're figuring this out on their own. It's not like they're, it's not like, oh no, we can't figure out that we need um, to relate better to each other. <laughs> like they're figuring out ways to do it. Um, and I think by and large, society is going to keep moving forward and getting better. It's not going to self-destruct. Regardless what the news says. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> by, nat- by nature, we're going to continue evolving. And it's not like we have to figure out how to make more efficient candles. We've had electricity <laughs> and lights forever. Like we need to figure out how to make it a healthy and cohesive part of our life that adds value instead of freaking out that it's breaking the old systems that weren't, I mean, they needed to evolve anyway. So we just need to figure out how to do it in a healthy way. Mm. I think saying it in a healthy way is really important too, in the sense that, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Sebastian Maniscalco. He's a, I, I might've butchered his last name there, <laughs> but uh, he's a, he's a, a comic on Netflix, which, which thank God Netflix, uh, right. another product of the digital age here. Uh, <laughs> but he talks about how, you know, going back to when he was a child, when uh, somebody would knock on the door, <laughs> like, like everyone would be excited to see who it was. And there would be, there'd be food set aside just in case or guests would come over. Like you weren't allowed to eat these 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 cookies. These cookies were for guests. Don't you dare touch them. Whereas now somebody knocks on the door, you're like, who, who's Turn not, out the lights and run away. Yeah, who's knocking on the door? <laughs> who is this? Who does that? What kind of psycho? <laughs> what kind of psycho is knocking on our door right now? And, and just like uh, you know, the way we you know, we respond, respond to phone calls, like people get visibly upset now. Like if, if they get a call from like, why didn't you text me? Or, I just go to like, I'm in a phone call, or <laughs> that calls me all the time. Yeah, because like, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of old school text. like that. Like, I, I remember, you know, standing by that phone, waiting for the call, the big cord on my phone. I'd walk around. Once I got that call, all excited, nervous. Whereas, as, now nobody picks up my calls. <laughs> or you can call me, Matt. But it's so silent until the so you won't answer. <laughs> You can call me when I'm ready to be called. <laughs> so, you know, we've been going for a little while now. Does anybody have anything that they just feel like they they wanted to get in here? They haven't had a chance to get in. They just haven't gone that way yet. Good question. Well, pitter patter. <laughs> I can try to make it a cohesive statement. I'll work on that. I'm wondering about the. There's this 
huge swell and uprising in individual mental health issues happening. And I'm wondering if there is a connection between, well, not wondering, I looked into it to see if there were studies and stuff, but like the last ones that I could find were like late eighties, early nineties when they didn't have the technology that we have right now. And I'm sure they're out there, but I guess I'll cut to like the end point because we have been going for a while. Like these, these outbursts of violence that happen, like um, movie theaters, schools, all of these things where there's these mass shootings. Like if we were a tighter knit physical community, would we see signs of that stuff happening? Like I know, you know, way back when like Columbine, like the parents didn't see it coming or, you know, whatever there's, would we be able to keep tabs on each other? And would we be in a healthier mental state if we were connected more in a physical sense, like being around people, looking each other in the eye, having even situational awareness to see like signs of something like that coming or kind of nipping in the bud the, the causes of that. Like if someone is so disconnected from humanity that they can just show up and take out 25 of them without like, how does that happen? How do we get to that point where that's just happening all the time? There's no, because there a disconnect in the value of human life where we desensitized to the value of life by only seeing them in pixel form. There's something to be said for that, for sure. I think one of the really interesting things is that the numbers are trending towards this being one of the safest times ever in history. It's, I think we're simply more aware of every big thing that goes down now. Um, not, not to say that there are, isn't a shift in how or why things are happening, but numbers-wise, things are, things are better than ever. And that, that is, to Kent's point, it is easy even when you hear it. You know, so we've all heard the news. And even technology, we're getting to the point where we're kind of like, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Right. So not even leading up to it, but even after it, there is a desensitization to the fact that it's all digital. It's all ever, the world is happening on a flat screen, you know, right in front of my face. My friends are happening on a flat screen. My family's happening on a flat screen. Oh, look, I'm happening on a flat screen. Like, it's just this kind of pixelization of, of uh, yeah, say hi, look at the camera. <laughs> this pixelization of life certainly creates, and then you throw in the same pixels, you get movies, you get video games, you get all these other things that are artificial. There is no doubt an energetic um, shift that humanity has got to figure out. And yeah, it is like these solutions are making, to Matt's point, things are the numbers do look there 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 is no debate when you look at the statistics that the longevity and health and everything like that but it's it's at the expense of some pretty you know pretty dynamic negatives i think the numbers are better because no one leaves their house anymore <laughs> sure <laughs> there's that i mean it's, it's funny i was thinking about awesome talking earlier about the the extremist groups that you brought up and i you know it's really easy to not even know who your neighbors are like, do you know the person two doors down? I mean, I think a lot of people are happy to know the person one door down. And maybe that person's still like, they see their, their neighbor come over to talk as they're driving into their driveway. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and hit my garage door opener. 
pull in, close the garage door, and I don't even have to talk to anybody. And I recall back maybe 10 years ago in Las Vegas, a friend that was starting a church there talked about how they went door to door with brownies, just like to say hi to their neighbors. And like their neighbors were like, uh, what are you doing? Like, you don't do that here. That's not, that's not a good idea. Like, you might get shot doing this. Like, people aren't going to eat your brownies anyways. They're not going to trust what's in the brownies. <laughs> I'm like, if somebody brought me brownies, I had no clue they were. I'm not eating those. Even if it was your neighbor? You don't know if they wash their hands no. before they bake? I've watched some of my good friends cook brownies, and I'm not just, no. <laughs> None of you on this call, though. I eat all your food. It's great. <laughs> I've watched you. <laughs> yeah, our, our neighbor welcomed us with, when we moved in, welcomed us with uh, some pastries, and I gobbled those things up. <laughs> yeah, I think we live in a special neighborhood, though. Um, I think to Kat's question, there's so many things that tie into, I think, what we're seeing today with, with the mass hurtings around our nation. I think some of it stems from the generation, maybe our parents' generation where there was lots of, um, you know, single families, um, lots of relationships and not relationships and going through um, different people in the household, as well as kind of that shift of someone else take care of my kids, someone else teach them standards and, and morals, just on a, a global compass, not just you know, I'm sure there's people that had great families and upbringings and their parents taught them good values and morals. But on the average, I think there was a lot of that, a lot of welfare going on, a lot of just, if I can get a roof over my kids' heads, I've survived, you know. And, and so we have this generation of, of people who are trying to make a difference. They're trying to make a change. And as that shift comes through, relationships, you know, I'll speak for my family and maybe they'll listen to this and be like, why? <laughs> Relationship speaking, there's lots of mistakes that happen and lots of hurts. And then people who aren't able to identify those hurts and they're not able to self-process, like, I forgive you. I, I'm going to love you and keep moving on. But they hold on to this and, you know, these feelings, they hold on to these feelings for years and years and years. And they, they, they either go, um, they either live bitterly or they, they snap and something happens. And I think we see that a lot, that people aren't being taught how to love and forgive and live in passion and, you know, just being able to live in community because we're not, unfortunately, we're not all perfect at the moment. Um, and we're going to say things, we're going to do things that are going to hurt other people's feelings intentionally, not intentionally. And that, that whole process of problem conflict resolution is just not there, I think, in a lot of generations. And I also think there are signs and people either choose to acknowledge them or, or they don't, and they choose to act on it and they don't. And so it's, it comes down to that um, individual ownership. Responsibility. Responsibility mm -hmm. of just, I, I see the need, I'm going to do something about the need or I'm going to turn a blind eye and then disaster happens. Because all action is communication. There's always a reason why someone is doing something. And they're going to keep mm -hmm. making that action bigger and bigger and bigger until someone is identifies a person says you are a person and I care about you and I'm going to do something for you right but if we never see each other like if right. we like that's what I'm getting at and as far as the numbers being the best they've ever been they're not good enough like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm I'm not I'm okay, not happy about the numbers <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think about the ratio of just the news like 
you know, he's got a, a catchy slogan of being as mm-hmm. a, a news person. If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't sell or if it bleeds, it leads. If, if it bleeds, it leads. So this that we're we're brought up in this generation and this mindset that the world is coming to an end and it's terrible because seventy-five percent of the newscast is horrible and then they sneak a little two sentence blurb at the end like, Oh yeah, yay, it was someone's birthday, lived they lived to a hundred, or this grandma was walked across the street by this young gentleman, yay, like literally a <laughs> fraction of that. But what would it, what would the world look like if the news and people that were broadcasting on the internet, like, these are all the amazing things that have happened. And I think there is a flip because sometimes on social media, everyone's like, my life is perfect and there's never, so there's gotta be that balance. But if we had some more positive news stories, maybe, maybe I, I, think I wanna, things going on. I want to touch a little I, bit on what you had said in regards, well, actually your point and Kat's point, the fact that there aren't any consequences and even though there is conflict there is no resolution to the conflict because you don't have to have resolution to the conflict mm-hmm. because there are no consequences right and i feel like that's the whole, that's a lot of stuff on social media it's a it's a it's a place where you can have conflict not have any resolution and not have any consequences i think that carries over too with what jen was saying about you know, people do show, show signs before something like that happens. And it, like that general complacency or stagnation of conscience or whatever the heck is happening in people, like there are no consequences in, in the virtual realm, really. And so I think that mentality kind of settles in and it takes root. And so when you see something like that, you're like, well, someone else will handle it. Or, well, I would fix it if I could do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, there's, I don't know, kind of a, huh? And I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, I, I don't know if it has any validity to it, but, well, yeah, anyways, uh, the numbers, conflict, <laughs> the numbers might be, to, to put here these two thoughts, the numbers might be better because nobody gets out of their house, but if we count all the conflict that we've had on social media or all the times <laughs> somebody has said something the abhorrent place. to somebody else mm-hmm. as an incident, would the numbers be as good? You know what I mean? I guess in, in, in my, you know, go to truth, like one forum. <laughs> the truth about numbers is you you can find what you're looking for. Right. With numbers. right. You know, and that's, that is again, you know, we can bundle up all the darkness and try to put it in a grocery bag and take it out the door, or you, you have to replace it with something. And so what is the solution to this? What is the solution to to having a world that is easily disconnected from reality because it is so digital and virtual? It would be nice to, to say, become a Luddite and just ignore the, the technology but there's got to be a group of people, and there is, there's multiple groups of people saying, acknowledging this crap, and then realizing, okay, how can we use technology to solve these new problems that technology has created? Because that's really, it's kind of the idea of going through a, a gauntlet, if you will, at some point, trying to stop and turn around is just going to get you killed. So you just have to keep going. <laughs> And and we are into level of technology 
where the only way through is out or the only way out is through. Like we just have to keep going straight. And, and that to me is, you know, <laughs> and I think there's a lot to say about the news, about the politicians and about the, the culture that's surrounding it. That is a whole nother podcast, but uh, nonetheless, technology is, has its fair share of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I want to plug here my awesome and amazing hook because I feel like this is kind of like um, our society having the shifts in voice and the peach fuzz and all the other fun things that happen during adolescence. Uh, we're learning to walk with bigger feet. We're, you know, in, in different hormones in our body, if you will. Um, <laughs> but that, that there, there are those glimpses of, of positivity. There, there are those play there, th- those times where um, having a easier way to engage in a society does good for, for other people in, in massive amounts of good, you know, think of all the, uh, the GoFundMe things, you know, Hey, I ran into hard times or how you saw this homeless guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and people give to that. There, there are easier avenues for people to help each other. Um, another, another thing that I have been trying to put in, into this conversation in, um, many times. Um, but anyways, uh, this this guy in the same forum that the linguist lady was in, um, he's a he's a learning scientist or something like that. Uh, he he studies the science of learning, and they were talking about uh, going into I think it's in Turkey these refugee camps uh, for Syrian refugees and and having them having a curriculum where they teach them how to do how to learn a skill. You know, these are probably people that have not had access or a lot of access to technology, but they teach them how to do a skill. But, um, you know, that's good and great, you know, YouTube or whatever. But he also made the point that he said, and we, and they go through, they have an hour session of, of learning, oh shoot, what it, of learning how to um, have a positive outlook. Or, or something like that. And, uh, and then he keeps talking and he says, basically what they do is they let these people play Minecraft for an hour. Because he says, Minecraft is a place where they can go in and the possibilities are endless. You can build whatever you want to build. You can, you know, get whatever you want to get. It's, it's, all, it's all there for you to get. And, and it teaches people, it gives them a more positive outlook on life because if you're in there for one hour, you learn to do things for yourself. You learn to to not rely on other people or whatever. And it's a, apparently it's so good you, for these people. <laughs> that game, that a game has a subconscious effect on a person? Oh, brother. Don't, don't, don't. When intentionality is put in there, because I think the beforehand is they're being taught that there's this positive outlook on life, and then you go do the game, and then it has that subconscious. But if you're just half, so if you're just killing people, though, that's not that doesn't do anything to your subconscious. I think I used to (laughs) I used to think that you know killing people repetitively 
had a negative effect. And then I'm going to blame this on Matt because I think he told me one time that there was an actual study that said that that was actually helpful um, to get aggression out and stuff. And then I think it was mainly boys. I'm making that up. Matt's looking at me like, why'd you put No, that no, that's the, the, yeah, the correlation wasn't there that we're expecting to find. I do, it does make me wonder though, if you replace video games with social media, in that situation, are, are we are we getting out our verbal aggressions <laughs> and social media as opposed mm -hmm. to, and then, I don't know, maybe somehow being yeah, more peaceful in, in real life? That's still somebody's real life that you're getting your aggressions out on if it's social sure. media. Like, if there still to, should yeah. be. Hmm? As opposed to computer right. player. Right. You're still affecting humans. It's just that disconnect. You don't think you are because there's no consequences and it's just pixels. Mm -hmm. I think it's about that time to go around the circle. This is your last chance to uh, to get us going here. You got anything? Um, I think when it comes to charting new waters in a digital age, just be brave enough to be wrong and inspire others to make a difference. I can't tell who you're pointing at. That's I was clearly I was pointing at Austin. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, my parting thoughts. I, I really actually I'm keep going back to uh, the idea that for generation after generation, you know, why has always been at the core of the human the human journey, but for most many many generations, it's it's largely been handed to you. And the why was survive, right? Put me food on the table, you know, keep your family alive and survive. And the more and more those questions have been automatically answered by our society and by the creative capacity in humanity, the more and more we've had to find new answers to why. And I think that's, uh, that's a really, for me, it's a pretty, uh, pretty dynamic takeaway from this conversation, just realizing, oh my gosh, humanity's feeling that stretch. You know, why was a foregone conclusion in many ways? We've always asked it, but it's always been kind of pretty obvious. Why go to work? Because uh, I need to eat, you know. Now, <laughs> why go to work if, if I'm not fulfilled? Why go to work if, you know, there's just a lot of different dynamics to that question. Uh, my takeaway, I guess, is don't be a dick. <laughs> but also going back to the... Um, I can change it. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> but really, like... Get on toxic masculinity. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I'm sorry. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> Did you just try to mansplain my closing statement? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but going back to the, the why question, or the, you know, asking why, and Jen's point, she's like, well, we've always asked why. Like, and that's how we've advanced in civilization. Only select few people had access to that question. Only a select few people had had the platform and the foundation to be able to ask that question in any sense of like with any weight behind it. Most people were literally just trying to survive. And so now we have like everybody has asked access to why. But yeah, no, really just don't be a dick. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I think um for myself, something that I at least thought through this process was just the concept that we need to stop feeling guilty about technology and having that like mental fragmentation of this is my digital life and this is my personal life. 
and the digital stuff is more shallow. There's just been like a stigma about all of that, I feel like. Um, I think part of the tension that we have felt is not allowing ourselves to come into alignment as a whole person and recognize that digital life is life also and allow ourselves to move forward in a more cohesive way um, as people and not and, and get rid of that stigma of digital life is not valid or it's less important or whatever um, moving forward I think we need we just we need to bring those spaces together mentally and and be a whole person with that digital aspect what I kind of gathered from this is uh, that we we still have we still have ways to go as mm -hmm. far as society um, but uh, we we need to learn to have a positive outlook we need to learn how to react positively in a way in a positive way to to new technology to um, to these things and 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 more than anything uh, teach our kids how to react positively to this kind of stuff and how to use it responsibly because I, I feel like uh, the the growing pains that we're having right now are in large part due to the fact that none of us really knew how to use this technology and we kind of went learned as we went and uh, a lot of people have made mistakes in the way that they use it <laughs> to say it nicely mm -hmm. um, so have a positive outlook learn or or use new technology in a positive way and uh, and, and and move forward you know not move backward not not turn it into a um, crap. Not forget good words to speak. <laughs> oh, what's that? <laughs> Dark ages. That's the word. <laughs> I turn it into the digital dark age. Anyways, yeah, sorry. There. The end for me. <laughs> uh, I, I would end by saying that there's a lot of value in the old ways, in the analog ways, and that, that, that shouldn't be lost. However, I, you know, I like to focus on the children. And I think that uh, we need to be, be preparing our children to walk into the world that will await them as they become adults. And that they you know, forward thinking enough so that they can have all the options open to them that we would want them to have. So uh, with that said, I feel like we have thoroughly kind of worked this topic up for this week. You know, the idea of, of mental foreplay isn't so that uh, we get you all the way to the end, but we, prepare, we have a conversation that allows you to have a more enriched conversation. So thanks for joining us this Wait. week. Before we leave, though, where can people find us if they wanted to know more information? Oh, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> if you haven't already been to the the Epic E P O C H the Epic.org, go ahead and hit us up there. There are also numerous people that have projects in this podcast. Uh, mine is Evolving Parent, which you can find at evolvingparent.com. Somebody else want to? Hi. I have uh, newagechristianity.org, Kat and I are working on, and uh, also beliefiq.com. Nice. And you can find our personal 
life and whatnot at ticoandtina.com. Cool. Fantastic. Now you can do your thing. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> See you next time. Hey, big question here. Mm, I'm done answering questions. <laughs>